we are recording. Uh, so this is RTBTH, hashtag RTBTH, which is an acronym for Real Talk Me on the Headlines. And today we have Layla Ramirez on the podcast. So before we move forward, let's say hi to Layla. How are you, Layla? Hey, I'm well. How are you? Good to be I, here. I, yes, it's been slightly over three years since we saw each other in the flesh. It has been, yeah. And now we are here together. We are. Uh, and we are recording a podcast, which is so exciting. I have, I believe, some some excellent, beautiful questions to ask, okay. of which I believe you will give some excellent, beautiful answers. But let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what we're doing here. This is Real Talk Beyond the Headlines. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so if you are a listener, you know, this is a podcast hosted by Tunde Ehi and Herschel. Ehi and Herschel are not here right now because we are recording a podcast with a very special guest. We are uh, continuing the segment, Where Are They Now?, um, which has consisted of three episodes. This is the fourth, and uh, the, the, the segment consists of talking with people who I believe, who are my friends, who I've gotten to know, who I believe are um, very de- dedicated to their work, to their craft, who are caring people who have aspirations that are, uh, you know, probably very ambitious, very complex, and who are on their way to big things. Even though, frankly, Layla has done big things already, <laughs> but, you know, I believe Layla's on her way to bigger things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the goal yeah, of really. where are they now is to get those people on the, on the path, okay. on the journey, you know, to snatch them early so that we can go back to the podcast when they're, you know, pretty much at the top of, mm-hmm. you know, where they're meant to be mm-hmm. and be like, oh, wow, I did that podcast with Tunde a couple of years ago and, and look at me now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know okay. what? Anyway, okay. <laughs> so we're doing that with Layla <laughs> Ramirez today. Layla, how are you? How does it feel to be in Boston? Oh man, I am, I'm doing well. I'm coming off of being tired for a little bit, but I'm well. And you know, it's funny that you asked this question about how does it feel to be in Boston? I think historically I've had like a love, hate, more hate relationship with Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time it feels different. This time I am feeling more optimistic, more positive. It's a more meaningful sort of experience. I don't feel like stressed or like pressed or depressed about it. So um, I was literally just reflecting on that this morning. Wow. So it's interesting. Perhaps yeah. because we have a Asian woman mayor. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different factors. Yes. A lot of different factors that go into that, but Okay, well, but my That's great. I'm happy. Listen, I'm here for new mayor, female. What is it? What is it that I like to say the future is female? I'm here for it. Okay. Or All woman. right. Woman. I don't want The future is women. Folks. Yeah. I'm here for it too. So, uh, we'll talk more about Boston mm-hmm. very soon. But I will uh, just inform the listeners of our background. We met in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. hung out a few times, had great conversations about psychology and business and life mm-hmm. and being black people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had, a, we had a great friendship. And, you know, we stayed connected. We yeah. saw each other in Boston once. Layla's a good friend and I think a very intelligent person intelligence intelligence but also emotional intelligence you know so uh you know i think it was it's wonderful to have you on the podcast uh but yeah me and layla we go back four years now Mm -hmm. so um it's wonderful to be in her presence and 
This is the first podcast I'm recording with another human being in person in like years. Mm. So this is a very special occasion. Okay. Uh, you already know hashtag RTBTH. You heard it here first. <laughs> Always got to represent. Anyway. All right. This is my first question. Okay. Ready. So when I met you mm-hmm. or maybe a couple of months after I met you, we were talking about Boston and I think maybe perhaps I was getting ready to move to Boston mm-hmm. and I asked you, what is Boston like? And you said, I quote, mm-hmm. Boston is like a salad. Lots of ingredients, but they don't mix. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I tell people that all the time <laughs> when they ask me about Boston because it's so perfect, mm-hmm. so perfect mm-hmm. of a description. Please tell me and the listeners why you told me that. Yeah, uh, so it really is uh, have out of an out of an abundance of awareness, um, having come from somewhere like New York, right, where people are living on top of each other that don't necessarily know one another, but can appreciate the differences in their like cuisines and the way that they you know express themselves and the way that you know in their traditions or in their religious affiliations, all those things. And in Boston, when we got here, so I was like eleven when I got to Boston. Um, when we got here. Um, I would hear things like, yeah, there's like a black part of Dorchester and then there's like a white part and there's like a Asian part of Fields Corner, but then there's like a, like a, a black or a Hispanic part. And, um, and I think, I can't remember if it was in conversation with someone, but it's like the distinction between like, if it's, if it's a salad bowl, right? Because it's like, you've got your tomato, your lettuce and all those things, but th- those ingredients don't really mix together. They're just sort of like in there coming together to create um, a culinary experience for you. Um, the compa- the comparison would be, well, when you think about like a gumbo, right? Like everything mixes, right? Everything is like the, and whatever the sauce is, right? It's like infused with all the different flavors of, of the things, the ingredients that are, that are in it. Mm. And that's just not, that's just not what Boston is. Or <clears throat> that's not what it has been. I don't know. It's been, I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 years since I've lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really sure, but you can, you can tell me what your impressions <laughs> are now. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I hadn't. We hadn't gone that deep into the analogy before, which yeah. with like the gumbo, because they're not like fusing, but yeah. the flavors come together, they and do. it's like a whole dish, right. you know, yeah. and it's a whole yeah. culinary experience. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I feel the same way. Okay. I think Boston very much is a lot of ingredients that don't mix, mm-hmm. and I mean, the the good part is that it is a lot of ingredients. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I am actually a, you know, doing my training placement at the Chelsea Healthcare Center. Mm-hmm. Chelsea is a city that welcomes a lot of immigrants um, from all over the world. A lot of South America, Central American, South American immigrants, but also, um, I believe, a good number of Africans. You know, and so I get, you know, a lot of my clients are pretty diverse people, and mm-hmm. um, I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's here, Dorchester too. You know, yeah. a lot of Vietnamese people in Dorchester. Yeah. I think Boston is very diverse, but, mm-hmm. but you know, you see where I live, uh, <laughs> and. Frankly, it's it's uh, a lot of the same mm-hmm. here around here. A lot of fair-skinned individuals wearing Patagonia jackets. That's right. And it, frankly, you know, I interact with a lot of these people in my work. I I think, you know, they're great people. They've, you know, and when I say these people, I mean I, I suppose I should just be forthright and say a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, somewhat waspy mm-hmm. people. I mean, a lot of these individuals have helped me achieve my career goals they're wonderful people but it's just like you know like you you, they're never actually speaking to people of color or Mm -hmm. immigrants you know they're not actually like hanging out with these people not embracing and enjoying their presence and their souls which seems different from new york i guess but i'm kind of still on the same page 
mm-hmm. um, even after my couple years, as you are. Yeah. I mean, in New York, it's not perfect, but that was my reference point coming here, and I just knew it wasn't that. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> the other side of this conversation, um, sometimes when I tell my friends that I actually love Boston, mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. I tell people, let me know if you, what you think of this analogy. I tell people, it's like New York, but without all the very best and all the very worst of New York. I think that's an excellent, an excellent depiction. Really? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I've been telling people that, but, but I, I don't but know. You know what it is? As you were saying it, I was like, wait, okay, I can get down with that, right? Because precisely what you're appreciating, having been accustomed to... Um, like moving a mile a minute in New York. Like I always felt, this is going to sound really bad, but you know, I keep it, you know, mm-hmm. unfiltered. I really felt like in Boston, the target is really to just be, ju- be just above mediocre mm-hmm. as opposed to striving and reaching for the stars, right? Like it's okay, like it's, it's satisfactory to just exist, but not exactly to maximize, mm. right? And that I'm not, you know, I'm not casting um, any shade, Mm-hmm. on um, folks who come here, you know, to pursue advanced degrees and things like that. And that's not like, I'm literally speaking about my own experience, not trying to t- trying to come down on anyone else. But that was the struggle that I had, was that I felt like, for example, right, everything here closed at 2 a.m. I came from a place where things were open until 5, and even after 5 a.m., that's when everything else that used to be closed is now open again. Mm-hmm. And so you're really up all 24 hours of the day if you wanted to be, and there was always something to do. Mm. It feels like Boston has a bedtime. Right. Mm. Um, and Very in my mind, I'm like, well, why would you have a bedtime if there's so much life to live? There's so much stuff to eat. There's so many places to go. There's so many people to meet. Right. So it just for my 11 uh, year old to maybe 15 year old mind, I was like, this is just it's just not enough is how I felt. But there is a lot here. <coughs> right. To your point earlier. Yeah. Um, and there's there is a lot to love, I think, of Boston also. I mean, I think now that I'm older and I'm considering, you know, different life decisions, right, like settling down and having kids and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, I see how the pace of life in Boston would facilitate a much better, like, experience in terms of not being stressed and stretched, right, as a parent. But then I think about, well, is there going to be the same amount of activity to expose and culture to expose, like, you know, children to? And I'm, I just don't know. I'm not mm-hmm. there yet. So, mm-hmm. so like I said, right, I have my qualms about Boston, um, but there is a lot to love here, I think, also. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So you go ahead. You keep loving Boston. I do love it a lot. <laughs> I, I've, you know, and this is unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, when I moved here, I thought I was going to do three years, mm-hmm. go to my internship mm-hmm. in at Emory University, which... Uh, they didn't offer me an interview. So for anyone from Emory oh. listening, <laughs> okay. I'm going, I'm going to uh, bleep that one out. But, um, <clears throat> and, and, but now I'm like, I mean, look, I could, I don't know if I want to stay in Boston super long term, but it's a good city. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been good to me. Um, yeah. I would like to ask you, we can move on to Boston okay. or mo- move on from Boston after one more quick uh, okay. point, but. Uh, so a lot of my friends give me slack about Boston being racist, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, this is something that's written about, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pretty, intri- you know, like common popular talking point. Mm-hmm. I think a couple years ago there was a, you know, viral, um, sketch from the daily, sh- the daily show with Trevor Noah mm-hmm. about Boston being racist. Maybe yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. I think it was the daily show. And I'm like, ah, eh, you know, eh, whatever. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, I don't really land on, on one or the other side, but my question is, 
Oh, by the way, there is a group called Black in Boston. It's a membership. Oh, yeah. I haven't joined it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be a little bit exclusive. Hopefully, Boston I... Wild Black. Right? Yeah, Boston Wild Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I messed that one up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, so so what what is it like being black in Boston? Mm, well, because I don't know what it is to be anything else, right? I'm, you know, I, I identify as Afro Latina, and so I do know what it is to be like a Latina in Boston as well, right? Mm-hmm. If we could, if we can separate our identities that way, mm-hmm. I'd say um, the the best way to describe that is to um, offer a reference. So when I think about places like New York, when I think about places like Philly or Atlanta. Um, when you look around, there are black people in leadership, black people that are, have ascended to like the highest offices when we think about local government. Mm-hmm. There are, um, black people who own tons of businesses. There are thriving, um, boozy brunch communities. There are, um, communities, affluent communities, right? Mm-hmm. Where, um, and also DC is another one of those, right? Absolutely. Affluent communities, um, where it's like, oh yeah, that's where all the like affluent black or people of color live, right? Um, I don't know where that is here. Yeah. I don't know where that is here. Um, I feel that. I also, um, I think it was comical, but I was also appreciative of the fact that when I came back to Boston to go to school um, to do my masters, um, there was a group me. It was a group me, um, young black and social. I think is what it was called. Yes. I don't know if it's still I'm a part of it. Yes, it still exists. But my point is that that is um, that is the that is what exists in lieu of those really thriving young professional black you know aspiring to affluence those mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. And so what we have, I mean, what we have are mechanisms. Well, th- that community, that sort of like critical mass of people who all are sort of like. Influencing policy, influencing neighborhoods, influencing um, different businesses, and essentially, like, the complexion of Boston is missing to me. Mm-hmm. So, that's how I would answer that. Mm. Okay, well, that is a good description um, of where Boston is lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, you know, like I said, I think it's a, it's a pretty diverse place. Yeah, they don't mix, but there, there's a lot of diversity in terms of ethnicity people from different parts of the world mm-hmm. so you know I, I hesitate to say that boston's racist for that reason like i mean okay you, get, you can go find people of color you know might not necessarily be like where you want to live or mm-hmm. you know the communities you want to be a part of but they're there i mean yeah. you know but i agree with you i mean atlanta is the mecca you know if you listen to this podcast you know mm-hmm. we love atlanta <laughs> uh and you and so uh, uh the mayor of Atlanta, who was recently elected, is a black man whose name I don't know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I'll put that in the show notes. Go look that up. Mm-hmm. You know, the the former mayor was a black woman. The mm-hmm. mayor before that was a black man. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, this is the standard. It makes a difference. It matters. Yeah. Yes. And D.C., where we met. Um, a pretty great city, although I I was ready to get out. But, okay. You know, but same thing. The mayor is a black woman. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I guess I've, I've been a part of a couple group me's and that's kind of a good networking, you know, getting to know people who are young professionals who are maybe of a similar mindset, mm-hmm. like-minded people. But it felt, you know, but like you said, boozy brunch, like that was like, like you can go on Eventbrite in DC and it's just like, you know, like, um, 
like Caribbean boozy brunch. Hello. You know, yeah. or it's, and it's just like endless numbers, and it's like you know there's places you could go, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's part of the Boston wine. You said two a.m. We could probably call it like eleven p.m. Okay, when, all right. When, <laughs> when Boston wants to shut down, you know, Good seriously. Trying to find something of substance, something healthy to eat. Exactly. After ten p.m. Yeah, that's that's uh, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps that's that's part of it, but. You know, you just don't get a lot of that. You know, like all the Caribbean people get yeah. together and like we're gonna go to brunch or we're gonna do like a mini. Or it probably is happening. Maybe I'm just not yeah, aware. It happens. Of it. I think I would say it probably happens along the lines of like um, like micro communities. So like people who go to the same church or people yeah. who um, were the group of like black people that went to the same school, right? And so their parents and their you know sort of families have now sort of become like a sort of micro community of the broader community yeah i went to um, a high school here that was predominantly um i would say people of color and i mean i didn't really have i had classmates but i didn't really walk away from there with like white friends and as far as i was concerned like i mean i never really experienced or maybe i was just not not attuned to how like racial right some of like how racial boston can be um, but you know, as a DNI practitioner now and understanding some of these more like the more technical definitions of these things, like it's it's not a question to me. It's not a question for me as to whether you know there's like a there are um, there are institutional barriers, mm-hmm. invisible both vi- visible and invisible that are limiting you know where people of color show up in the city. So. Mm. Oh, that always hurts my soul, mm-hmm. but it is a fact of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I suppose it's an open-ended question as yeah. to whether Boston is welcoming for black people or Latino people or Afro-Latino people. Yeah. I think um, it is. I think it is welcoming is one thing. I think, I don't know, I think you can't, it, all of Boston is not racist. Like, we can't just say that. Mm-hmm. We have to be, it, it is a much more nuanced discussion indeed so perhaps going through a transformation you felt it as soon as you came i actually didn't i actually did not well i thought you just said that you felt that boston was reforming perhaps a little when you came this this time oh this time oh i thought you meant like when i was like growing up oh i think maybe yeah maybe it could be but also the things i need are not or the things that i'm like looking for and the places that i want to show up in like um are different and so, mm-hmm. because the places and spaces that I'm in now are majority white anyway, Boston is right in line with those things. Mm. So, it's not, it's like, oh, okay, at, at higher levels of like, of, of your profession or when you're in academic institutions, like, this is what it is. Oh, all right. So, you know, it's, there's no sticker shot. Mm. Yeah. righty. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit more about a Boston institution or Massachusetts institution mm-hmm. in- institution uh, so my question for you is what inspired you to go to Smith College oh man um, I think I would I would identify at that time when I was making my college admissions decision um, I identified as like a serial box checker and a overachiever right <laughs> And so no, no longer. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> In fact, I'm quite on the opposite side of the spectrum now. 
So um, with that being the case, I think um, I've always been someone who sought counsel from people who I felt had like my best interest at mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. And um, when it came down to it, I think I, I applied to eight schools in total. Am I making this up? No, 10 schools, of which mm-hmm. I think I got admitted to eight of them. And I think um, the vast majority of them were giving me like real good money. And so for anybody who thinks, oh, I'm going to just go with the one that gives you the most money, that was not, I couldn't make the decision that way because the money was good everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So the ultimate decision came down to, well, what do the folks around me who know me and who see, for me, what I can't see for myself, what would they um, opine? So I asked my mom, I asked my dad, I asked my guidance counselor, and probably the most convicted person was, um, I was in NJROTC at the time. Mm. Um, we did Navy ROTC at my school. Did you have to wear a uniform? Oh, yeah, on Thursdays. I um, was in ROTC, too, unfortunately. <laughs> we wore it on Thursdays. I, but listen, I wore that uniform with pride, right? I felt like <laughs> yeah. this is, um, it, was, it was great. Um, and my commander was the one who said that I should go to Smith. And this was someone who, um, I didn't have, contentious is not the word. It was someone who, um, I said, I, I felt... He was equipped to. Um, he was like a. He was like a credible authority in my life in ways that other people I felt were not, and I could run circles around other people. I couldn't do that with this man, but he knew that I would attempt and try it. And um, with that being said, even though he said it, and I was like, "Huh, why would he say that?" Like it made sense about Smith. When I got to Smith, it made total sense. Having graduated Smith, I understand one thousand percent why he said it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, yeah, that's how I made the decision. It okay. was based on what other people had to say. And also, you know, the money was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think I, um, there was a part of me who wanted something smaller. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went there. But Northeastern was my actual, like, I love Northeastern. I was like, I want to go there. I got a full ride and everything. But, like I said, Cereal box checker out here, you know, deferring my decisions to people who I thought, you know, knew better. Mm-hmm. And it worked out. I think it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just had to put in a plug for Northeastern. <laughs> I feel like I've come to Boston and just drank all the Kool-Aid, but I yeah. love Northeastern. Yeah, it's great. They have some problems with their administration, administrate administrative, uh, uh, the rapidity of, of them doing administrative things, uh. you know. But, I mean, it's not a big deal. It's just you got to make some phone calls okay. every once in a while. But but I love Northeastern. Okay. It's, it's treated me well. Yeah. I ask you because, I don't know, but we spoke a little bit. We don't have to get into too much detail. We spoke a little bit about perhaps some of the challenges in your environment mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, perhaps it wasn't, uh, there wasn't things that were, sort of pushing you and creating the exact perfect environment for you to go and pursue higher education and excel. Mm-hmm. And so I was just curious, like, how did you, let me actually go ahead and say this for the listeners, but I, I Layla's a very perseverant person. Yes? Yes. Yes. She's very perseverant. I mean, I don't know if that's an innate, if someone cultivated that within you, yeah. but you know, we'll, we'll get into HBS soon. Oh, for the, for the people who aren't game, <laughs> that's Harvard Business School, mm-hmm. which is where Layla got her master's. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you can't. You, I feel like you can't call it MBA a master's. Like it's it's like not. I don't know. Whatever. I'm they just. They did a good job of positioning it as something different, but it's really it is a master's. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, you say so. I we feel took like the marketer bait. We took the bait. Yeah. yeah. So Layla did get her master's at HBS. Uh, 
I mean, I, I, I have found you to be perseverant. Mm-hmm. I mean, strong will to, to, you know, pursue these, uh, the, the education and the, uh, accomplishments that go along with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you told us what inspired you to go to Smith college, but what inspired you to just really keep pushing through all of that? Oh, and then you had work experiences before HBS and after HBS, like you've per- persevered. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I mean, I have to give first and foremost, thanks to God and to my parents, um, in their way, in their own ways. My mom, um, for example, is just incredibly resourceful, right? Um, incredibly, I would say, I mean, it's really nurturing and, um, she is probably the reason why I I am at least at this point in my life super convicted and being unapologetic about um, who I am and what I need right and making sure that I'm holding folks accountable to um, either give me what I need or moving out of my way mm-hmm. right so with that being the so the context um, there was not a doubt in my mind that I was gonna go to college. Um, Paying for college wasn't something that we actually talked about, but I, like I said, serial box checker. I was like, I knew the comparative advantage that I had as a student for these institutions who were trying to beef up their diversity numbers. And those were the cards that I was dealt, so those were the cards that I was playing, right? And I I didn't have any qualms about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also understood that um, having gone to an exam school here, I felt like I was prepared academically and my mindset was a growth mindset. One of like, if I don't know the answer today, okay, I just don't know it yet. Not that I'm never going to know the answer. And if I so choose to put my mind to figuring out what the answer is going to be or is, then, you know, if I actually decide that I want to do that, then I'll probably get it done. Right. And so I could thank my mom and my dad for that. Um, because I've always been, what's the word that I was using? I spoke to my partner about this yesterday. I think I've been really, um, there is a word, persistent. Mm-hmm. I'm very persistent. Um, but not like obnoxiously persistent, like people that are like annoying. But I'm like, I play the long game. And if I haven't found a way in, I just haven't found the right way in yet. But I'll find a way in, right? And so that, that. So with that being sort of like the my the spirit of like going to college, to me it was just like, all right, well, you just do your homework, you show up in class, you submit your assignments, and you will graduate, right? If getting the degree of, is what the end game is. It was a formula. I could plug and play. There's no reason why I couldn't be successful if so many other people have done it. Everything else was um, sort of like a minor problem that needed to be addressed in my mind. But they were really significant issues, right? Um, issues around like supporting my family back home while I was in school because I was you know in school full time how am I going to sustain myself over the summer where and how are we going to eat right these are things that were in my mind right not just me but like my mom thankfully I have a brother and he and I um, have been going through every level of school to a certain extent um, at the same time and so I never really felt alone I never felt like like if I didn't know between the two of us we could figure something out right Sometimes I was the first, sometimes he was the first. And so having that, I would say, thought partner and then having a nurturing environment in my parents and then, of course, you know, being able to play the hand that I was dealt as it relates to being a, being a I would say, um, a smart choice for schools, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was like, that was how I sort of navigated. Both, you know, Smith and then at HBS, it was, 
Um, there was another piece to it, which was um, I had a mentor who I spoke to. And he said, well, Layla, when I was deciding between which schools, again, I applied to like eight schools at the time, got into six. I think like four of them gave me like 80% or more of tuition paid, right? Um, and he said, well, who do you want your friends to be? That was the question that he asked. Because at the end of the day, when you're thinking about your MBA, it's about the network, right? It's about who's going to be able to move, what are you going to be able to mobilize? And so although HBS was difficult, and it was a transformational experience in ways that I don't necessarily, when I say that, I mean something different than when other people say it, for sure. Um, I think I would still make the same choice again if I had to make the choice. Um, based on the way that I've been able to, um, what's the word I'm gonna use? To cash out the investment mm-hmm. to this point, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you articulated that very nicely. Thank you for spitting game on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, that is hashtag RTBTH. You said unfiltered earlier, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we do go beyond the headlines, so thank you for bringing that energy to the podcast. I mean, you're saying some things that are very interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, you you use the word growth mindset, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, I'm a huge believer in the growth mindset. Uh, There's a book by Carol Dweck, I believe, who's a psychologist, and she writes about the growth mindset, and Mm -hmm. the other one, the the contrast to that is a fixed mindset, Mm -hmm. although... I do believe that there are criticisms of her theory. As a, as a psychologist mm-hmm. in training, I have to review all sides okay, of psychological okay. arguments. But and we give thanks. We give thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, <laughs> we give thanks. Thank you for saying that. Um, but, I, I mean, I wasn't, you know, perhaps maybe I had it in me on some level, you know, through my education. But, I mean, I don't think I was, like, in high school thinking, like, okay, let me see how I can finagle and set myself up right in long term. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, like, a very mature, you know, perspective on the world, on yeah. life. Mm-hmm. I mean, where did that come from? Is that just who you are? Like, mm-hmm. you know, can I have some of it? Is this something that you can, mm-hmm. you know, like, transfuse to me? You know, I feel like you got it. I feel like there's something, I feel like, yeah, and, and you can continue to, I think, um, I think you can continue to expand that. I think if I have to pinpoint, I, I mean, I should say for context folks that I am in the middle of writing a book on um, the first generation professional experience, right, which is my life. And um, I've had to reflect on, you know, well, what? How did you get to that place to think that way before, like at that age, right? And so where I landed in my moments of introspection is that when I was living, um, growing up in New York, um, I was constantly changing context. And so, for example, there were a different set of rules at my grandmother's house than at my own house. There were a different set of rules at my aunt's house than at my house or my grandmother's house. I had aunts and uncles who were like very wealthy some that were dirt poor. I had people who um, were English speakers, others that didn't speak English at all. My grandmother, God rest her soul, passed away and was unwilling. She was in New York living in the same apartment for 38 years and did, was not willing, right? Right. She was holding on to that. And so having to, um, the, fir- the term that I use is like having to be cognitively flexible in that way to be able to navigate, well, how do I, like what part of myself needs to lead here? Or what is going to be the, um, the perspective that's going to unlock, you know, this interaction? Um, 
that just means that you're always making plays, right? It's almost like being a point guard on a basketball team, right? You got to know who is going to show up in which in in which context, right? In order to be able to to truly get get to the goal. And for me, you know, with the I have like my I I, would, I like to say that my family, like all of my uncles have like gone to school. They they came to I think most of them came to came to the US um, with degrees, others earned their degrees. My mom went to college but didn't do a four-year college. And um, I have an aunt who pursued her um, bachelor's degree after having graduated and had gotten a bachelor's in, in DR um, when she got here, like while I was like alive, right? I saw her studying, I saw her going to class and all these things. Mm-hmm. The point of all that is to say that um, they, like being just above my mediocre, was not an option. Mm-hmm. Not going to school, not an option. Not being a person of character or of substance was just not an option. And so the question is, well, if I can't do what people on the block are doing, right, then what do I need, to, what can I do, right? And so my curiosities really were just about, like, what are the different ways to succeed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, by, I would say, we could call it by default, right? Because if the default was what I was seeing, mm-hmm. then doing anything that just wasn't what was around me, it was clear. It was clear what not to do. Everything else was sort of like up for grabs. Okay. Well, uh, Layla, you are spitting some hot knowledge (laughs) on the podcast. Thank you for uh, coming and, you know, uh, sharing, you know, about yourself on a podcast. Mm -hmm. First of all, being a point guard in your life, uh, great analogy. Everyone Mm -hmm. should strive to be the point guard of their life, right? Yeah. You know, I love that. Uh, secondly, I mean, you cognitive flexibility. Oh my God. Thank you for saying that you, (laughs) you have just unleashed my like psychology nerdism. Um, so there's another term, psychological flexibility. Mm -hmm. I think they're, Mm -hmm. you know, interrelated. You could say, uh, psychology, I, I would say is, is comprised of emotionality, cognition, and motivation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so cognitive flexibility is very much in line with psychological flexibility. Mm-hmm. I don't know the research too much, but it's a very, very compelling psychological construct that can help describe how people succeed, how people stay healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, thank you so much for bringing mm-hmm. that on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Look, if you're ever on the podcast and you talk about a psychology concept, just, you know, be prepared to get some, some you know, at least 30 seconds of me just nerding out for a second. Come on now. But... Uh, you know, I, I tend to somewhat feel that way by myself, you know, because although all immigrants are pretty diverse mm-hmm. from American, typical American culture, I, I feel like, at least with my Nigerian parents, like it was just like the complete opposite end of whatever America <laughs> offers. So I felt like I had to shift a lot, you know, yeah. a lot, you had to shift your mind a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that eventually stays with you. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's sounding like, you know, between different households. Being bilingual, mm-hmm. you know, uh, perhaps maybe even the shift from New York to Boston. Absolutely. You know, so you're you have developed an ability to probably you know put yourself in a completely different view, like even in your mind, mm-hmm. mentalizing yourself from a completely different perspective or multiple different perspectives. Which perhaps you know, I think you also show that with people and in terms of empathy, empathy. I think technically it means like putting yourself in someone else's mm-hmm. shoe. So you have to like visualize and you have to sort of like actually cognitively shift mm-hmm. your thinking to put yourself in someone else's someone else's other shoe. Or if you're charting a path, a career path, 
I mean, you have to know about the different ins and outs, and That's right. you have to be able to envision completely different mm -hmm. um, outcomes. Yeah. And it sounds like this ability to kind of like, you know, I call it um, envisioning, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to nerd out too much again, mm -hmm. but some of my dissertation involves mental models, you yes. know, so we, we, ha we use mental models are very deeply related to, to, uh, visualization. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to kind of like create a picture or, mm -hmm. uh, or some sort of landscape of mm -hmm. what you're looking to, to ascend to or achieve. Mm -hmm. I will say real quick, you know, Doing too much of that could also be problematic. Like doing too you much. You get stuck in just the visualization part. Yeah, in the yeah. future, and just yeah, but. That can be tough. So yes, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like that's been a pretty, a pretty important part of your navigation of mm -hmm. the you know your career and relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And when when you were speaking, there was one thing that it was a thought that came to mind, which I think is important being able to sort of like shift, right? And being able to sort of access a different, I don't know, line of thinking or perspective. It's, I mean, it all boils down to like, I had an aware, I had a very deep awareness of like how I could like reinvent myself, literally, depending on where I was. Like no one else knew anything about me. In those contexts, it's, I was whoever I said I was. And so, I mean, I wasn't gonna delude myself, right? Or present um, things that were um, things that were like not true but I could choose the parts of me that I wanted to share and I didn't have to feel I didn't have to feel um, I would say burdened by or yeah I didn't have to feel burdened by what like other people might have think might have thought about something that maybe was different to share right and so that transformation piece is really important. Being able to reinvent yourself um, and having a bias towards reinventing yourself, I think, really opens up possibilities that, you know, you, it's so easy to just get stuck and to be stuck. So, 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also difficult to let go of things that you're attached to. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. part of reinventing yourself, you know, I don't think you have to let go of everything, but part of re reinventing yourself is being willing to kind of switch it up. Mm -hmm. um, so indeed, Layla, thank you. You're uh, spitting some hot knowledge on the podcast. No, I appreciate I'm it. I can. I'm well trained. Thank you so much for the education. Me, me, what? Of course. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I do I my best. I can nerd out on these, uh, on these uh psychology concepts with you and you you know you just relate them in such a, a re i mean they're relatable it's a relatable discussion when we're having conversations so. yeah 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 for sure for sure well i try to i mean i think you know everyone is a psychologist you know psychology is just understanding other people human behavior everyone is a psychologist i just have a few more degrees than other people okay, come on you know okay so this this is kind of where the the interest for this podcast or at least my interest stemmed which is we were talking about you know you potentially switching up career paths mm -hmm. uh you know we won't name any names of current employers you're here as layla that's it you know but uh i i think you know so the the podcast segment is where are they now you know so it's kind of like the one person the first person that was on the segment had just started law school or he mm -hmm. just got accepted so it was mm -hmm. like he was transitioning um another uh gabby Clark for the listeners she was on where are they now she had just finished her MBA at, okay. at UCLA mm -hmm. so it's like okay where are you now you just mm -hmm. finished your degree mm -hmm. so I don't know if there's a specific like 
like thing that happened for you where it's like, okay, where is Layla now? But mm-hmm. from our conversation, it seemed like you are kind of maybe at an inflection point, switching, mm-hmm. shifting mm-hmm. your mindset a mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, I mean, I'm jumping at any, at any point because I could talk about this forever. And, I'm, and part of me is still sort of like processing in real life. Mm-hmm. So um, I think when you and I just met, had just met, I um, was just starting my career as a, I didn't know it at the time, but what would, I became like an, an, an IDNE, DNI, inclusion practitioner, one mm-hmm. of those, right? Mm-hmm. And people call it different things. Um, and for uh, probably two years, I was like, oh my God, this is what I was on earth. This is what I was born to do. This mm-hmm. is me. Like I get a, like it's like I can be all who I, I can be I can be my full self at work. I can um, talk about things that I care about. I can advocate for people who maybe don't feel like they have a voice. I can change all sorts of things and I can influence leaders. Wow. So I did that and I've at been large corporations at a very large corporation, yes. Yeah. Um, I was doing that and I really wanted to continue growing on that path. Right. This is why having mentors and sponsors around you is really important. I couldn't for the life of me understand why one of my sponsors was telling me, you know, that he was tired and that, you know, some of what we were doing was really sort of like frustrating for him. I was just seeing all the potential. Right? Mm-hmm. In the last three years, I've moved jobs twice and it has felt like with every transition, the conversation has sort of restarted this conversation around how do we drive um, inclusion how do we increase representation how do we um, really just create a world that like a world that reflects the pop at least in the United States that reflects a company that or a culture that reflects the population mm-hmm. of the United States yeah. and at least you know is representative yeah and also uh, one thing that um, on the outside looking in that I feel like could be improved on is not uh, limiting people um, you know who are in this diversity bracket from getting to where they want to be to right. really like top level successful mm-hmm. positions because mm-hmm. you know I think there's uh, a problem of like maybe there's just not enough we'll call them applicants because you know the systems in place to get to that point are pretty you know, difficult, but yeah. then people who are actually qualified mm-hmm. are not getting opportunities, you know, right. but I'll let you go on. Yeah. So that, that's really, um, at the core, I am, I like to think of myself as like a corporate advocate or, um, as like someone whose job it is to ha- to like, to, it's my job to use my voice and the platforms that I have to elevate the conversations, um, that otherwise wouldn't see the light of day because these people don't have we call it relational power, actual, you know, financial power, whatever. Right. So now, so that's so like in the last since we met until now, um, I am soul searching. Mm-hmm. I am really trying to get specific, trying to establish a mental model, trying to envision, mm-hmm. right, what is next. And if I'm honest with you, I have a sort of destination. I'm like, you know what, I want to go be a voice, be a force, flip tables and turn chairs where it's actually going to make a difference, right? Right now I'm challenged by, I know that the work that I'm doing makes a difference. I'm challenged by 
um, how my perception of how incremental it, it is compared to it being like a quantum leap, right? Um, and so I'm going after where I feel like I could have like a quantum leap type of change or um, impact on things. And so where I've just, what I've la- where I've landed is that it's time for me to take a break from inclusion work, right? And to pursue a more traditional um, business career path. So I, my background, right? So my first career, I like to say, was in financial services. And I did that for four years. I think I killed it, right? I had a good time, but I needed to go find my soul after work and went into the and went and went and pivoted into um, social sector after that. And that's sort of like started my career in inclusion. And now I'm like, you know, if we want to really, let's say, change the complexion of a corporation, well, the management team of companies are held accountable by their board of directors. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's where I need to be. But when we think about how you get onto the board of directors, um, there are very traditional paths that take you there, and being an inclusion practitioner is not one of those. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm like, you know what? I'll reinvent myself. Not a problem mm-hmm. at all. I'll mm-hmm. reinvent myself. I've got relationships. I got this really shiny, you know, master's degree, and I have, um, I think, a solid track record of success up until this point mm-hmm. that I could probably sell. I could probably sell being a general manager somewhere, a business development manager somewhere, or even a product manager somewhere. Mm-hmm. So those are the sort of like angles that I'm considering now in a traditional business. Um, so I'm open. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a position to uh, hire people, right, um, I'm happy to talk. Okay. So <laughs> that's where I'm at right now, really trying to make a hard pivot back mm-hmm. into um, like a core business function and to just be the change. Mm-hmm. That I want to see, as opposed to like teaching, training, mm-hmm. begging people to just be better leaders. I just want to. Here is Layla, an inclusive leader at this, doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's something about it. I mean, I I uh, sympathize with a lot of what you're saying. I I think I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I'm not gonna gonna I'm gonna try not to get too uh, controversial on the podcast Why right not? now. <laughs> because controversial. because I don't think I have my thoughts uh, fully formed, and okay. I also don't want to get dragged on Twitter. Okay, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm am somewhat skeptical of of um, how things have pl- played out with you know this shifting, I guess, national shifting in mm-hmm. race relations. Mm-hmm. You know, so on one level, I think that we've made some fantastic progress. For example, the Washington football team got rid of being called the Redskins. I mean, I think like the, mm-hmm. the fact that that happened is mm-hmm. just mind-boggling mm-hmm. to me, you know. But one thing that I've noticed that that doesn't make any sense to me, and perhaps maybe you know, I've I've gotten in trouble for some of my views on race, and and you know, I, I attribute it to being Nigerian, okay. you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I don't understand how groups that are, you know meant to be for white people, white ally groups, mm-hmm. you know, come in, evaluate your white privilege. Like, it's like, you know, I've seen these happen in various settings where it's like only white people, we come and we talk about our whiteness and our problems and mm-hmm. how we're problematic, mm-hmm. which sounds good, but mm-hmm. but I'm like, at what point in history has a group of white people, you know, trying to work on so-called white issues or... Um, when has that ever been successful? You know, it, it, I I think the goal should be trying to get people to mix, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, so so I think that's stemmed from this push into, you know, uh, you know, restructuring race relations. And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I'm a little skeptical of that. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate with you at all? Does that? I mean, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. And what I can offer you is um, that if you consider, so you ask the question of when in history have, you know, white people gotten together and talked about their issues? Well, well, not just that, but when in history has it been like a whites only oh. function that's been kidding? successful? That the founding of this country, the founding of any academic institution. I mean, any like when you think about like the historical context of the United States, like maybe we, maybe you and I can't necessarily relate to it because, um, you know, we we have. You're also Nigerian, right? I'm also Dominican, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about the leadership of the Dominican Republic, they look like me, they sound like me, right? So we have a different reference point. No one like mm-hmm. took us necessarily and brought us here and then said, you have to do what we say, where we had no input into that. Um, so I think what I will offer you is that the, the, the beauty of these groups, right? Even as controversial as they may feel or as like triggering as they might be for some people, is that, um, they're they're driving awareness right so it's if another white person doesn't tell a white person about their privilege like they're not going to hear that they're privileged from me but they'll hear it from another white person mm-hmm. right it's really interesting right how that works mm-hmm. um so that's really why that is significant because i put it to you this way right if it's true that the vast majority of people who are in power are middle-aged white men and they are unwilling to release some of the power that they have because they make the decision as to whether they can be, there can be more white women or more women, black women, or more black, you know, black men in those rooms. Mm-hmm. They, it is essentially like you have to be aware that you have the power before you can exercise that power. And so I think historically, white folks haven't really known. They haven't really been aware of the power that they have because they are existing in a bubble, right? Um, and they're not necessarily having to bear the brunt of their actions or inactions, their biases and prejudices, right? But mm-hmm. we do, mm-hmm. because I'm sure that if I asked you, how often do you get around, do you, how often might you, like, when you get around other black and brown folk, mm-hmm. has there ever been a time where jokes about, like, CP time or, um, like, that's just like what Nigerians do or like, has there ever, is there ever a time where we are not calling it out? Have you ever experienced? Yeah. That? You're, I, that happens all the time. All the time. <laughs> we are, we, we exist in this country because we are hyper aware. Yeah. We're hype. We have to be hyper aware of ourselves in order to stay alive. Yeah. Right. That's not true for, for white people. Mm. Honestly, that is the best argument I've heard mm. about, white ally groups and it, it I think it makes perfect sense yeah. you know my again my issue is just that it's you know if it's only this for for people of color too if it's only this mm-hmm. you know I feel like that's moving away from our desire to be together yeah. you know but uh, but I, I hear where you're coming from you know you clearly have like the uh, understanding of the diversity inclusion mm-hmm. industry I guess we could call it yeah. but I do also understand what you mentioned earlier about you're just going to live it as opposed to like you know yeah. being on the side of like you know trying to push it i yeah. guess you could say yeah. but you're i mean you know because you're 
uh, potentially, you know, I, I, I've said it before, but you're basically a CEO, okay. you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, look, uh, for me, it's the, it's, it's I'm on my way, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, but yeah, that, that's like very impactful. You know, one person, uh, that I have, I follow on LinkedIn mm-hmm. who I, I, I feel like has sort of embraced her new role, or I guess maybe as of, uh, fall 2020, her name is Erica James and she's the Dean of the business school at UPenn. She's mm-hmm. a black woman. Mm-hmm. And I saw like the hiring, there was articles about it. I was like, mm-hmm. that's tight, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it hasn't been like, oh, this black woman is now the, you know, even though at the time it was like first black woman, yeah, but yeah. but I, like she posts on LinkedIn and, you know, she probably has a very sort of like, like her LinkedIn is, is for her job. It's not like, probably not just for her, right. but like she's mm-hmm. on LinkedIn as the dean, as all people are in mm-hmm. their corporate uh, or their uh, professional mm-hmm. um you know their professional identities but mm-hmm. it's just like i see her posts and you know it's like these events and graduation i'm just like that's she's just a black woman doing the job like i feel like it doesn't have to be this sort of like uh racial social justice you know um mm. i don't know yeah. i'm probably it's kind of like of everything ass. doesn't have to be racial right yeah yeah and everything doesn't have to be political mm-hmm. but tell me who who exists at least in this country, where race and politics don't impact you. Yeah. The personal, the political, the racial, like, it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and because we don't, like, it's it's not like we can just compartmentalize, right? It's not like I can say to you, hey, um, so I want to talk to the student in you, but not the Nigerian in you, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you could, like, keep the Nigerian aside and just talk to me like a student. Like, there's no world where you can speak to me like a student, right? And the lens that you have as a Nigerian doesn't somehow influence that, mm-hmm. right? We just can't leave it at the door. But, like, to the degree that you're aware, you can, you know, be more, let's say, um, not measure. Measure is not the word. You can be more... Um, strategic? Maybe it's strategic or, or um, measured, mm-hmm. right? In terms of the things that you say, and you can maybe um, adapt what mm-hmm. you're saying to whatever you know makes sense in the context mm-hmm. um so really that's that's i mean it's about it's about awareness it's like if you don't there's this so i i i earned a, a coaching certification during the pandemic okay um air horns yeah they'll be coming on the podcast <laughs> and there's one there's one phrase <laughs> there's one phrase that i really like that someone said and it's like if you um you have to name it so you can tame it mm-hmm if we don't name things because we're too afraid to call them racial or political or whatever, then we're just over here, like, we're really not connecting. We're really not communicating. It's really dysfunctional. Agreed. So. Agreed. Well, <clears throat> perhaps uh, you are on the cusp of some cutting edge innovation in the world of, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think... Perhaps that's a little bit too limiting, but in yeah. corporate environments, um, like actually becoming the companies that they that they say they want to be and the people that they want to recruit, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, I guess you can be in the industry mm-hmm. or as you said, you could uh, be in the company as that person mm-hmm. and just create those values in your mm-hmm. sort of like uh, in your space, in your environment, in your sphere of influence. That's right. Or perhaps there's something new that mm-hmm. you are working on, perhaps in your book. Mm. Uh, which we, we we gloss over a little bit, mm. but 
I mean, congratulations on even deciding that you want to write a book. Mm-hmm. I personally think writing a book is probably the hardest thing anyone hard. could do. Mm-hmm. So kudos to you. But yeah, perhaps maybe you're on the cusp of something new and innovative and, and perhaps you're actually creating something before Unseen. I receive that. <laughs> I receive all of it. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we are, we are pretty into this. We're coming up on an hour. Okay. But I do right. have a few more questions okay. for you. Um, so this one is, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, maybe it can be quick or long up to you. But what is it like being an Afro, being an Afro-Latina in corporate environments? Oh, my goodness. Well, at the probably, what would I say? This is my experience, right? So I'm going to speak for myself, and I'm not trying to, I'm not here trying to explain or express anybody else's views. I would say, because I don't know how to be anything else, but I have led with Latina first, and I've also led with, like, black. It's, um... There are lots of similarities with the black experience. I would say that, um, what... what it's really funny. Really funny. So... What I am challenged by in terms of, you know, being an Afro-Latina is that, um, and this is something that, you know, I thank Boston for, right? So when I came to Boston, I, um, I identified as Dominican. In New York, no one, everybody knows what that is. Here, people are just like, are you Cape Verdean? Mm. Are you black? Are you everything that was wrong, right? In the sense that, like, I didn't identify as those things at the time, right? Um, it was also a journey. We could talk about this maybe on another on another episode. But like, um, Afro Latinidad is a new concept, mm-hmm. right? It was either you are black or you are Spanish when I was growing up here, mm-hmm. right? And from as early as I can remember, I was just I mean I have a, a defiant spirit in me, which is part of what wraps into the perseverance and the persistence. Mm-hmm. And I just was unwilling. I was unwilling to compromise. I was like, I am, all my friends are black. I feel comfortable with black people. Like, I don't identify as black, which I'm down, right? Mm -hmm. And then with the Latinx people, same. The issue was in how my black friends and how my Latinx friends perceived me. And I had to, I had to um, renegotiate. I had to renegotiate what those perspectives were for them. And now, right? and that I'm in the corporate context, it's the same thing. It's, I'm not what you think I am. I am what I say I am. And if that makes you uncomfortable, read a book. Mm. Google it. I'm not <laughs> responsible for educating you about my experience. Do your Googles be... Hello? So, um, so if you're hearing that, you know, it's similar, right, to like the plight of like the black man or the black woman, it is because there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of um, misconceptions and some of it is new, right? And I, um, there's like not community, right? So, and I, I'll tell you like in, in one of my previous roles, one of my closest mentors and sponsors excluded me from a black event because he wasn't willing to see. He's just like, oh no, you're Latina, but you're not black. It's mm-hmm. not the same thing, mm-hmm. right? And so I had to educate. I mean, it's hurtful, right? When you have, have to have these conversations with people, it's like, when I was telling you to be a student and not a Nigerian, like that, you don't want to be anywhere where you can't be who you are and all the things that you are, right? 
if 100%. you have to mute parts of you, it becomes exhausting and it's taxing. Yep. Um, and you're expending energy that you don't have because we have to be out here every day. We got to fight, right? It's hard when you have to do that with people who are supposed to be your your community. So it's um now, I feel like I guess the introvert in me is okay just being like a lone wolf. I'm not saying that I'm alone at work, but I will explain. I will educate if I feel like it. If I don't, uh, whatever, right? Um, I feel supported, right? And I'm like, I'll participate in the black things and I'll participate in the women things and I'll participate in the Latinx things. And I would be damned if anybody tried to tell me that I couldn't because yeah. you don't want a lawsuit. <laughs> That's the reality. That's the reality of the situation. So, thankfully, we can't... We often misidentify people, right? As we think about, like, our social interactions. We, I mean, misgendering is also a thing, right? For folks who are sensitive around um, LGBTQIA issues. Um, and that's not on me. Those are your biases. Those are your preconceptions. And I am 1,000% clear on, like... I know who I am. If you don't know who I am, like I said, read a book or Google it. Wow, that that's a very powerful uh, perspective uh, where you... But I'm tired. I'm here and I'm saying it this way because I'm tired. Because mm. I tried it other ways and it's just exhausting. Yeah. So how long would you say that you've approached your uh, professional relationships and interactions from this viewpoint, this new one? I think that I was empowered... When I was leading diversity and inclusion at, a, at um, one of my last companies, I was empowered to share more of myself. And therefore, like, once you share with 30 people, this is how I identify. They will share with others that this is how you identify. Mm -hmm. So being empowered to share and to make myself visible and to be seen um, has made it easier. So that, like, it's like it's like once you put something on, on the internet, for example, on, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you can take stuff back. You can delete things. But people have already seen it and screenshotted it. So you got to stand by it. And so mm -hmm. every day that you have to stand by that, it's like, I'm going to use a technical term, you have less and less fucks to give. Because <laughs> it's like, yo, that's what it is. So, <clears throat> right? Um, right? Shoulder shrugs. Like, what can I do? Like, yes, yeah. this is who yeah. I am. Yeah, well, uh, you heard it here first on RTBTH. Uh, well, yeah, I think, um, you know, per perhaps historically for uh, people of color or people from disenfranchised backgrounds who are not given all of the uh, greatest opportunities and options for success, mm -hmm. they probably had to do a lot of blending in and mm -hmm. maybe had to dampen their... their uh, you know who they are yeah. a bit um it seems like we're changing you know oh, i yeah. i guess maybe because of the industry i work in yeah. but i've always felt like you know i'm just gonna be myself and mm -hmm. you know you guys can you know go eat shit <laughs> if, if, if that doesn't work for you uh yeah uh <laughs> but i do also think it, it is a little difficult it, it I, I do think there's you do have to again you know have a mental shift you have mm -hmm. to have a lot of sh personal strength mm -hmm. to know that you know if you are in an environment that's not welcoming, that you know you can, that you can persevere through whatever comes from that, or be be strong enough to fight and and you know um, stake your claim mm -hmm. to this space. 
Uh, but I do think it is a very powerful perspective. I appreciate you sharing that on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will embrace some of that energy. Yeah. Okay. One, other, one other thing I wanted to add real quick before we move on is mm-hmm. um, that this is why, because of the amount of energy that it takes and the amount of work, this is why it's so important that, you know, you be who you are and not be un- and, and be unapologetic about it because when you allow yourself to be seen and when you allow yourself to to be um, to be visible, right? You it's almost like shining a light and your light to the degree that you shine your light, you create and you um, you create the space and you also give others the permission mm-hmm. that they need to give. Mm-hmm. themselves right you show them how to give themselves permission to do the same mm-hmm. and then i mean if we get to a place where no one is really trying to be somebody else right yeah then we're all just who we are right so i mean there i i go up and down on like the amount of hope that i have around ever seeing that in my lifetime mm-hmm. um but yes yeah, so that's that's one other thing i wanted to share that folks be out here yeah. do it like yeah. it gets easier for everybody if right every time that one person asks for like i'm unapologetically me it gets easier for everybody else who's trying to make that transition. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So if you create the light, it'll help others navigate these shadowy environments right. better. So right with the metaphors. Let's go. <laughs> well, you know. Um, so real quick, mm-hmm. I just have to say some things. You mentioned uh, the introvert in you. Mm-hmm. Um, Layla has shared book recommendations before with me. Mm-hmm. She's a great book recommender, um, but I bring that up because you recommended quiet the power of introverts in a world that can't stop uh sorry i had to click the link mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that that can't stop talking uh yeah i listened to the audiobook I, I was like this is the perfect book for me yeah you know even though i think i have learned to be extroverted you know mm-hmm. uh, and when i go full-blown extrovert i, I feel like i'm probably <laughs> like it's like i'm a different person yeah. probably losing a little too much of myself but but yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from this book. So thank mm-hmm. you. Another one that I haven't read yet, but I do think would be very important for me to read is Crucial Conversations, yes. Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High yes. uh, by Carrie Patterson. And the quiet book is by Susan Cain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Layla, thank you for your book recommendations. Yes. Okay, so I have two more main things, and we'll be done soon, because this has been a bit of a long podcast, but usually, RTBTH, we can go two hours, we can go three hours, you know, it's whatever. We got right. We got plenty to talk about. We got plenty of hot knowledge to spit. But one quick question. Mm-hmm. This is kind of just like a something that I just, you know, I, I don't know how you'll answer, but I think you'll have a good, interesting answer. So, again, so what is it like being in corporate environments as an Afro-Latina, but... Has it been different now that we're doing a lot of in-person stuff? I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, virtual stuff. Has has this these dynamics you've had to navigate, have they been different because of virtual environments? Ooh, that is, it depends, right? I'm going to say, to keep it brief, um, the introvert in me and the Latina and the Afro-Latina and the black, like all, all these different dimensions of my identity, I think are thriving in this context. But... The reason is because um, I learned the corporate game in person. So the folks who are learning to be in corporate America in this remote environment are severely challenged um, because you are not participating in the informal culture of these of these of these companies. Mm-hmm. And so much, it's like the informal culture is really how things get done because mm-hmm. the formal culture is just you know sort of like a pacifier for everybody. Um, so 
I think it's been better, right? So as an introvert, I just close the laptop and that that interaction is done. I don't have to worry about somebody coming back afterwards and coming around my desk and yep. I hate that. Yep. Right? Um so so that's okay. That's good. And then the same is true when you think about the energy drain of being like a a black or latinx person in the in the corporate context. It's like you're not going to after an awkward interaction you're not going to walk with me to wherever I'm going next to make yourself feel better. You're not going to apologize profusely mm-hmm. for something that, like, are you really sorry mm-hmm. for calling me somebody, some other Latina's name, mm-hmm. but you probably going to do it again next week? I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have to carry those burdens for as long day to day, and we can transition, I think, a lot easier. So I think this environment has... Has I mean it's been it's been there have been some pros and then there's some cons also because we we understand that um, we need to be in person for folks to because we need to control the narrative of like are we working the eight hours we're supposed to be working are we building relationships are we is what we said are the words that came out of my mouth what people actually understood or are they repositioning that narrative in a way that is detrimental to me and my personal brand. So in those areas, I think, you know, it's more challenging. And I'll be honest, I um, I decided that I was going to unsubscribe from the, oh, I need to build relationships on Zoom. It's exhausting to me. Mm-hmm. It's not, the depth of connection is just not there. And so I don't show up at the, ha- at the happy hours or mm-hmm. the water cooler chats, the virtual water cooler chats. Like I just, I need to recharge. Mm-hmm. And because I don't have, um, I don't have the in-between meetings anymore. Mm-hmm. to um, to do that and I don't have like the lunch to take on my own necessarily because I also am working I've been working in an environment with my um, with my partner who um, is also in the corporate context um, I don't I really like I have to be really mindful about protecting my my um, the time that I need to recharge and it's more often than not it's gonna be when you're at the water cooler when you are taking lunch break and when you try to schedule the happy hour. That's when I'm recharging. So now I won't be there. Well, you were speaking my language. Uh, yeah, I actually, I entered at a health tech company this past summer mm-hmm. and it was a great company, Pair Therapeutics. Mm-hmm. Um, we can oh, talk yeah. about mental health technology in a bit. Uh, but yeah, I could never get with the virtual happy hours. Um, as, a, as a therapist, I mean, I will say, look, the telehealth has opened up um, access like you would not believe and mm-hmm. I think it's probably going to transform mm-hmm. mental health is, is going to be a slow transformation but mm-hmm. it's probably something that we crucially needed Absolutely. but I mean I can tell you there's some people on my caseload that I'm just like I, you need to be in person you got to mm-hmm. come see my face mm-hmm. and I got to see your body mm-hmm. and your you know nonverbal you know mm-hmm. so I, I don't know I'm, I'm a little torn but I, I certainly sympathize with uh, you know, rejecting virtual socializing. Yeah. You know, um, well, I have two more, I think, pretty hard hitting questions okay. for you. Do we have 10 more minutes? Let's see. Yes. All righty. Uh, so, Layla, uh, along with some of the other uh, talents I believe you possess, I think that you are. Um, Someone who is analytical, but also very empathic. 
Uh, I also believe that of myself, so perhaps maybe that's why we were able to connect. Uh, so I'm going to ask you something that's probably very difficult, but I also think that you are going to be able to verbalize a, a worthy response. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, you know, in, in the world, we're dealing with a lot of, it, it just seems like the world is just going just, it's, it feels like everything is just so difficult, not necessarily bad. Like, I don't think that we're living in times that are just like horrible. Like, oh, that, that period of time in American history was horrible. I mean, yeah, not, the pandemic, yes, but I don't think that we're living in like destitute times, but we are living in times that are just so like, I'll just say icky, you know, it's just, it's, it's sticky, it's difficult, it's complex, it's mentally straining, you know, in terms of politics and then you got the pandemic, you know, there's other things that I, I have struggled with, with, which is, you know, technology companies just, you know, many things, but one of them is technology companies just with these incredible valuations and, you know, mm-hmm. Elon Musk is worth $300 billion, which, you know, honestly, I support capitalism, but, you know, the <laughs> fact that someone could, you know, double, triple their uh, their personal wealth mm-hmm. during a pandemic, yeah. you know, it, there's a lot of things that just are really hard for me to wrap my head around. So the question is, mm-hmm. what do we need? What does the world need right now? Let me take a second to think about that. Yes. As I said, uh, Maybe a bit of a heavy hitter question, yeah. but but you know what, Layla, you are the person that I want to hear from about that. Okay. Hmm. I'll put up some elevator music on this oh, section. No, 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 I think. I mean, I could uh, I could talk you through my sort of like what I'm doodling or noodling with noodling with in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where I start is um, I think we might need to renegotiate what our moral compass looks like um, and what the um like what are the factors that contribute to um what it is to be like morally sound right and i think of that you know in politics in corporate context and capitalism across our you know human services institutions um i think we need to go back to the basics of like what is what is right right can we agree can we agree that like humanity irrespective of like race, gender, sexual preference, orientation, that humanity, a human life is valuable. Mm -hmm. I think when we start from there, um, we might disarm some conversations that tend to be really contentious. So I think there's that. I think the other piece is, um, and I often say this along the lines of being empathetic, is we need to have an unyielding interest in finding our experience in someone else's. Like, the, our setting needs to be, I know that there's something about that person that speaks to my life or that is exactly the same as it happened in my life. Right. And I need to have a bias to discover what that is because what that does is it draws us closer to each other, more connection, mm-hmm. yeah. more understanding, right? Um, I think we need to see each other, right? So if I am willing to see you and I am coming from a place of like, I know that there's something about you that connects deeply with me, if that's my bias, then you're more likely to accept and adapt and make room and make space for all the different parts of me, right? Which is really, at the end of the day, what we all want. We want to belong, we want to be seen, we want to be reflected, we want to be respected, all these things. 
So I think that that is what the world needs the more of. More, the more of. And then I'll sort of tie that up really nicely um, by saying that we need something like something bigger than ourselves to believe in. For folks who don't have that, it is hard because how do you make sense of things that are juxtaposed, right? How do you make things of some of the conflicts that you mentioned, right? If you don't have faith that there's like a bigger plan that's like that's essentially unfolding, it's hard. It's hard to like you don't you might not have the mental model that's going to help you to get unstuck from a place that's like really hard to like to manage. So I mean, those are probably the two things that I mean, I I got there thinking about the being, you know, being um having a belief or a faith in something that's bigger than you um, by thinking about like, we need leadership. We need, um, we need morally sound leaders who are incredibly empathetic and clear about how important like a human life is. Mm-hmm. And by, I mean, not just human life, but like also the context within which human life exists. So that's mm-hmm. the planet, the universe and all the things around it as well. So those are my thoughts. Any questions, comments, concerns? <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you for your uh, comments. Um, I mean, that I felt like you would have a very nuanced response yeah. for that question, uh, but it's a quite, quite a um, gargantuan challenge. Uh, which you know, so you're saying we should have leadership, but uh, your earlier thought of, of sort of like reevaluating our moral compass, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that is incredibly important. You know, one example that still continues to stick in my mind is like, you know, when the pandemic struck, there were so many people who just didn't stop working, you know, because they were working in, in, you know, uh, jobs that, yeah, you know, they, they were called essential workers, but the wages are still so, you know, unlivable, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it's like, you know, because, you know, I'm fortunate and others are fortunate. I literally just opened up my laptop and work continued. Like, nothing That's stopped. It. You know, fortunately for me at Northeastern, even though the graduate student salary is not very friendly, mm. uh, like, it didn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was just like, I, I it was never even like, oh, you know, maybe we'll have to skip one or, you know, it was just like, you know, nothing changed, yeah. you know. And I was very fortunate for that. But there were people who literally had to, like, really have life and death discussions with themselves mm-hmm. about work and your family members and you know i'm like so again reframing the moral compass is like you know if we find find people who work in these positions valuable in a pandemic you know is it only pandemic circumstances that we find them valuable if not then how are we going to reframe our moral compass i mean that's that's a huge endeavor but yeah, it seems like uh, leadership could help. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't. You've never spoken to me about politics, perhaps, but perhaps maybe you are the leader that we need. Oh man, <laughs> my partner has aspirations um, in politics, so he's the person. Okay, I refer you to him. Okay, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't particularly want to work in politics, um, but I mean, do I do have like, uh, like visions of being a senator oh, okay you know, i want to argue i want to argue with the people who claim to know what the law should be um, and determine if we you know if we can piece it you know piece it apart a little bit mm. decode what suppose these laws should be or whatever but anyway yeah. you know you know yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I will have to talk with your partner because oh, you know, yeah, there's some. I do enjoy politics a lot. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, great. I'd love to hear you all have a conversation. <laughs> Indeed. Perhaps uh, another round of where are they now? Okay. Um, all right. So here's the last question. This one's a little bit uh, kind of fun, but also pretty serious. Layla, mm-hmm. uh, when I start my mental health technology company, will you be on the board of directors? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like, definitely. Like, it's one of, it's so funny that you asked that question. Yeah, I would be honored. Okay, well, yeah. you heard it here first, RTBTH. <laughs> uh, you did mention earlier that, you know, the board of directors is, is the influence that you want to have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, perhaps, you know, and when I say when I start my mental health technology company, you know, we, we have a ways to go, you know, but I have many ideas. I have many thoughts. I have many aspirations, but... You know, I mean, perhaps, you know, like I have friends that are like, I'm going to hire you, I'm going to hire you, you know. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to just hire people that you know. Mm. But, or you don't want to just bring in people that you know to your, to your, uh, you know, your in, in, industrial projects. Yeah. Um, and projects that will influence other people, the world at large. But, I mean, I think that you have everything. Oh, that That uh, a potential board, director on a board uh, should have you yeah, know I mean I you have the that. the the understanding of corporate environments you know um, you know profits and loss and mm-hmm. you know actually thinking about the checkbook but you know with your background in uh, diversity and inclusion your 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 understanding of what environments should be like mm-hmm. for people to feel comfortable to feel that they can thrive and also, I mean, you're you're quite ambitious, so that's that's what I want. Cool. I don't, I want the to the moon. That is my goal and my aspiration. Okay. Yeah. I'd so, be honored. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so it's been it's been sealed. Uh, you will be on my board of directors for my mental health technology company. Let's go. Okay. All right. Well. You know, that was that that's it. That's I think it? that's all the uh, oh podcast we have for today. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Again, you know, this is where are they now? Layla just told us where she is now and she, you know, dropped some very, you know, some very great tidbits, some hot knowledge, uh some hottish takes, lukewarm takes, you know, uh and and a very bright spirit that you have graced this podcast with. Any My last pleasure. words? Just thank you so much for uh, for the opportunity and um, stay encouraged. Um, please continue to host folks um, on this podcast. I think we need to share our stories and we need to, like I said earlier, be visible and allow ourselves to be seen so that you know we can really ultimately hold ourselves and the people around us accountable to a better to mm-hmm. creating a better environment for all of us. So thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me to be on your board. I'm so excited. And um, yeah, you know, just lots of love and appreciation. Thank you. All right. Well, you know what? That's a great place to wrap it up. Hashtag RTBTH. We're out. <laughs>